0: The Bible reading today, I'm going to do it a bit differently to that, to what we normally do, as you know. And normally get people to take in turns of reading, but I reckon you lot are all way too nice to portray this Bible reading in in any kind of fashion. Like I reckon Jesus would have said it. Okay. I, however, am not as nice as you lot, so I sort of thought I'd give it a go. Is that all right if I read it this time? Yeah. Right, we're reading Matthew chapter 23, and here Jesus is really judging um, the Pharisees and the scribes. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice." They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries long, their fringes long, and they love the place of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father, who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever humbles himself will be, sorry, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte and when he becomes a proselyte you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple he's bound by his oath. You blind fools! For which is greater? The gold? or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So, whoever swears by the altar, swears by it, and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, And faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the inside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within... You are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, oh, if we'd lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you've still been wondering why Jesus was crucified, I reckon that should have removed just about every single doubt. Being on the receiving end of Jesus' judgement is not somewhere that I want to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've just heard some hard and judgmental words from Jesus. Lord, open our hearts and our minds so that we we will receive your word and know how you would have us apply it in our lives. Lord, through this message of judgment, help us to value and understand the precious nature of your grace and your mercy that we've received in Christ, setting us free from your judgment. Amen. A number of years ago, there was a movie called Shallow Hal. Now Hal was pretty shallow because he was looking for a girlfriend, but he was looking for the wrong sort of woman. He was just looking at their outward appearances. He was just looking for somebody who was really hot. Um Anyway, so he'd start out a relationship with a gorgeous chick and it wouldn't be very long before it all ended in disaster and he'd wonder why. But it was just because on the inside, these women that he was choosing to as girlfriends were just awful. Anyway, something happens to Hal and he changes. To Hal, their external appearance becomes a reflection of their personality. And so a woman with a really nice personality and a loving heart, to Hal's eyes, he sees a supermodel but a woman with a really nasty personality and a dark heart, to Hal's eyes, she becomes ugly and emaciated and repulsive and ew. Anyway, Hal's condition only lasted for a little while, but his lesson was learned, not to judge people by their external appearances. Now, (laughs) Justin's obviously seen the movie, there's more to it than that, but... When God gazes upon you and I, he doesn't care so much what we look like and I'm thankful for that because I'd sort of be letting him down there. But when he scrutinises who we are and how we behave, he looks way beyond any external show of righteousness too. God looks right inside the heart. Nothing is hidden from God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It says, Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, that's pretty scary, don't you think? I find that scary. If that Bible verse itself doesn't give us cause to repent and to seek God's mercy and forgiveness, I don't know what will. The thought that everything that I've ever ever done, the thought of everything that I've ever said, everything that, everything I've ever thought—even—that all of that is laid open to the eyes of God and God knows about it—well, that makes me shudder, and it makes me fall down on my knees before God to thank Him, for He has forgiven me through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because nothing is hidden from God, that's why Jesus could get stuck into the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, they were masters at, at telling others what to do. They were very skillful in presenting an air of holiness. Right? If you walk down the street, you'd just go, ooh, those guys, they're pretty holy. But Jesus could see beyond that. He could see right through it and he called them hypocrites seven times he called them hypocrites in in this morning's reading and seven times he said to them woe now the meaning of that word woe is really how terrible it is for you and in its when the word woe was originally used it was um, it was used in a term of sympathetic sorrow so it's sort of like Oh, I'm really sorry for you, That's, I'm, I'm sorry about that. So it's sort of like saying, oh, look, I'm really sorry about that, um, that external show of righteousness, you're going to go to hell. You know, Jesus was really, he was sympathetic with them, but he was expressing it in a way which says, whoa, whoa, it's not going to go well for you. Anyway, what I've done is I've listed eight things here that Jesus challenged the scribes and the Pharisees on. Number one was symbolic holiness. Jesus said, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for so they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Um, ben, could you drive the computer? Mum's obviously been called for work. There should be a little, up to a little picture. You able to get it? Yeah, that's it. Uh, the phylacteries are what today are called the Tepelin or tephelin. Uh They still use them today, the, the Jews. In Deuteronomy and Exodus, it talks about the law of God and how Israel should live by that law and know the law and love God's law. And in Deuteronomy it says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Exodus 13.9 says, This observance shall be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of Yahweh is to be on your lips. For Yahweh brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hands. Okay, but they took these passages quite literally. And so what they did is, is they made these little leather boxes And they wrote down tiny little copies of of certain scriptures and they put them inside these leather boxes and they tied them to their foreheads and they strapped them to their left arm. Now that's a bit bizarre and I'm not too sure that that's what God really intended for them to do, but then it became sort of like a pompous status symbol. And reading between the lines, it appears that they started making bigger and bigger boxes to hold more and more scriptures. And the bigger the box, the more pious the person because the more scriptures they could shove into them and the more they had bound to their heads. Um, And what Jesus criticised them for, I believe, is their symbolic holiness. When I was at Bible college... Um, a discussion which would come up every few months amongst the students was, who's going to wear an alb and who's not going to wear an alb? And of course they'd all discuss um, their reasons for or not for wearing an alb. Now, an alb is the the dressing gown that some ministers wear. It looks like they've just gotten out of bed, they've still got their jammies on, they've thrown the dressing gown on and headed off to church. Now, I was very surprised when I went to Bible college because it was about half and half. About half the students said, yep, we're going to wear the alb, and the other half said no. Um, but for me, I couldn't even consider it. Uh, why would the minister dress up all special like he was different to everybody else? And then, of course, you might have noticed that there's even a hierarchy amongst ministers and priests and so on, and, and um, sometimes with that comes more and more complex and resplendent regalia with smells and bells and nice frocks and and very tall hats and, and colourful scarves. A symbol of holiness is pointless. It's the state of your heart that counts. And if you have confessed your sins to Jesus Christ and if you've asked for forgiveness, you are holy. You don't have to have the flash fancy clothes to go with it. You don't have to wear the religious garb. You don't have to wear the big hat. You are holy. The bigger the Bible you carry, the bigger the cross around your neck, none of that stuff matters. It's what's in your heart that matters to God. The second thing he challenged the religious leaders on was status-seeking. He said this, They love the place of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And for some religious leaders today, this is a constant temptation, seeking status, seeking um, um, position within society. I'm not tempted by that stuff. I'm tempted by plenty of other stuff, but that's not one of the temptations for me. I was actually quite disturbed when we went to Tonga. Um, In Tonga, to be a minister is one of the highest positions in society. I I think it's just below the chief, unless it's just above the chief. It's somewhere around there. Very, very important position, very highly regarded. They get a nicer house than everybody else. They have nicer clothes. They get more pay than most workers. And I'm pretty sure that quite a number of ministers that I met there were not ministers because of the call of God. I'm pretty sure that they were there for the status and, and for the benefits that they were receiving. And I was even a bit embarrassed myself because, because I was a minister visiting there. They designated me as, as a I think it was a missionary, is that what they call a Mis- missionary, missione something like that. And so I was much more important than a normal tourist. Um, and I was embarrassed by that. I guess in our culture here in Australia, uh, ministers aren't very much valued. In fact, if you look at the list of those most trusted professions, we're sort of somewhere down near used car salesmen. Um, and I think about the only uh, position that I get in society here is I get a I get a seat reserved for me at the front of the school awards night um, and that's about it. But in our society, it's it's amazing the number of people, um, particularly if they're from a Catholic background, who want to call me Father. And I say, no, 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 I don't have a title. Don't call me Father. In fact, the Bible says don't call any person on earth Father. Now, I don't think it's mattering about your, your dad like you can call your dad father or dad or whatever but we don't use it as a symbol of status of, of elevating people in the church that i used to work for they used to insist that i be called reverend and i used to deny that to, i don't want it in fact i rang the synod office and i said change my name on the database and they said we can't i said of course you can it's a matter of just changing a few letters um, because that was the only place that I'd get the title Reverend. The mail would come addressed to Reverend Michael Brumpton, and to me that was wrong. That was against what the Bible was saying here, because it's what it is. Is it's designating me as being more revered than anybody else, but I'm not. What Jesus is saying here is don't let anyone call you, or don't you call others higher than anybody else, because you are all brothers in Christ. We all have the same status before God. From the person who's only saved right then is just as high a status as as anybody who's been in ministry for years. Jesus said, don't let them call you teacher because God is your teacher. Don't call anyone father because your father is in heaven, and we're all brothers. Don't let them call you instructor. Christ is our instructor. He said, if you want to be great, be a servant. You don't need titles. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, how church could go right against these things and insist that its ministers or priests wear robes that set them apart from people and insist that they be called father or reverend, or probably even pastor or senior pastor is the one that they use today. Humble yourself. I have to humble myself. And we don't need any titles and we don't need to go looking for the best seats in the house. Look, we all leave the best seats in the house here, don't we? Front row is always empty. Number three. The third thing Jesus judged them on was being a barrier to others coming to faith. Now this one out of all of them is the one that cuts me deep. It's bad enough getting it wrong yourself, but it's a whole lot worse when we prevent others from coming to faith in Christ. Jesus said to them, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Now, you know, don't you, that the only way to come to Christ is with a simple childlike faith. You know that? Yeah? And it's only sinners who know they're sinners who can come to Christ. You know that? Yeah? I hope so. I'm getting some blank stares. I hope we. Yes, I know that. Yeah? (laughs) And God forgive us. God forgive me. God forgive you if we've ever made sinners feel unwelcome in this place. God forgive us for when we cut ourselves off from those who need Christ so that they no longer have anyone to tell them about him. The word Pharisee means separated ones. And their aim was to make more separated ones. That's what they were trying to do. And anyone who didn't come up to scratch, well, they'd go looking for those who are are more holy-like and go, oh, well, you're you're of a pretty good status and standing and well-behaved. You can be part of our order. And they'd invite them and school them up and teach them to be Pharisees. But anybody else who didn't come up to scratch, oh, not going to go anywhere near you. In fact, don't touch me. You'll make me unclean. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you and neither do I. Jesus said to them, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. God forgive us if we've ever done that. God forgive us if if we've ever presented the gospel as a whole heap of rules and regulations that you have to satisfy before you can come to Christ and be part of the in crowd. God forgive us. Our God is a welcoming father. That I hope you know God as your welcoming father. I hope you understand and know that that is how he wants to be presented to the world as the welcoming father who welcomes and gathers his children in and saves us sinners from our sin. Invite. Don't shut out. Invite. The fourth thing on the list is they were not men of their word. They used to create legal loopholes to try and get out of oaths and promises that they've made. I think it's sort of like making promises with the fingers crossed behind their back or something like that, as if that means anything. Think you know that doesn't mean anything, don't you? That's nothing new to you, is it? <laughs> I hope you're the sort of person that you don't need to make an oath for people to believe you let your word be exactly what you say. Always tell the truth and don't try and wiggle out of an oath that you've made. The fifth thing Jesus challenged them on was they were fastidious in keeping all of their little rules but they neglected the big areas. Does anyone know what the big areas of the law are? Justice mercy, faithfulness. They kept all their little rules but they didn't act with justice. They didn't show mercy to those who needed it. And they were not faithful to God and they were not faithful to others. Last week me and the boys went to see the movie 58 um, and it was based on Isaiah 58 And in Isaiah 58, Israel were perplexed. Why doesn't God answer our prayers? Even when we fast, God God doesn't answer our prayers. Why not? And in Isaiah 58, God says this. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? I wonder how many church meetings have gotten bogged down in the little things like the colour of our seats or the position of the memorial vase or the century from which we draw our music or what we should or shouldn't have for Smoko or even what time church starts. I think God probably wants us to concentrate on the big things like getting the gospel out into our community, like acting with justice, like caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Number six. The scribes and the Pharisees were greedy and self-indulgent. Greed and self-indulgence can be a trap for all of us and church leaders aren't excluded from this. I I know you all like to think that church leaders are pure and and holy and faultless, Um, but I think you've probably all been around long enough to know that that's not the case. Somebody once said, the three traps for ministers are the three Gs, the gold, the girls and the glory... And I think that's pretty true. Most ministers will be tempted by one of those three things, or two of those three things, or three of those three things. And the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus said, were greedy. They were tempted by the gold, and they're self-indulgent. And that's something we all have to guard against in our lives. Jesus is very keen to see that we're not people who are greedy, that we're not people who are self-indulgent. Number seven, they are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Did you like my example of hypocrisy? Did it work? Yeah? I have here a picture of the, I'm not sure if it's the Air or Home Hill Cemetery. Has anyone ever been to the Air or Home Hill Cemetery? They're famous. You've never even heard of them, have you? You got the picture there? Look at that. You've been there? Oh, you've driven past it? I remember we, we went there when we were on a family holiday, we went up north, this is when I was about that high probably, and I still remember it today, I was just amazed by it. it. There's a very big Italian population there, and it's just amazing some of the, the intricate and beautiful mausoleums that they've built for their loved ones, so they they're basically tombs but some of them are made of brick and there's a lot of marble and glass in them and you look at them and think, golly. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. That's, what, that's why my parents described it when they said, oh, we're going to go and have a look at, at this cemetery. And, well, what's special? Oh, there's a lot of little houses there that are built for the dead people. And, what? Oh, I don't know. We went and had a look. And some of them are very, very expensive and they look beautiful. But what's on the inside? Decomposing flesh and and chalking bones and worms eating away, putrefying flesh. And that's how Jesus described the scribes and Pharisees. Like beautifully painted up tombs, made to look really lovely on the outside, but on the inside not so nice you see they didn't do what they said and they were hypocrites they judged others very harshly by the law but they themselves were lawless although they were very careful to make sure nobody else saw that they were doing what they what they were doing but God of course could see everything that they did and so the outside looked holy but the inside was rotten I think that's a real challenge for us as Christians. Yep, we might know what's right and wrong, and we might say it. And Jesus said, you make sure you do what they say, because what they're saying is actually pretty right, but don't do what they do. <coughs> Finally, they're full of self-righteousness, and this would become their undoing. Their forefathers had rejected God's prophets, and they said, oh, we wouldn't have done that. Have we ever done that? Sort of of think of something that other people have done. Oh, we wouldn't have done that. But of course, that is exactly what they did. They rejected John the Baptist. They crucified Jesus Christ. They persecuted the early church. And Jesus said, Woe for your self-righteousness. You're doing exactly what you said you wouldn't. Therefore, because you know it's wrong, you're going to be guilty. Okay, so that's the things that Jesus judged them on. But that leaves me with a bit of a problem. Symbolic holiness, seeking status, being a barrier to others coming to faith, not being men of their word, neglecting justice, mercy, faithfulness, being greedy and self-indulgent, hypocrisy and lawlessness, and self-righteousness. That leaves me with a bit of a problem because a lot of those words could describe me. Maybe a lot of these words describe you. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ who forgives repentant sinners. Verse 37. Old oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Jesus lament. Jesus' sorrow was not that the religious leaders were sinful, we're all sinful. His lament was that they were unwilling to do anything about it. If we were to look with hindsight at the religious leaders and say, well, thank God we're not like them. Well, that makes us exactly like them. If when you read the Bible, every time you read about Jesus having a go at the scribes and the Pharisees, you go, oh, well, we wouldn't have done that. Well, that makes us exactly that sort of person. Jesus longs to gather sinners to himself, just like a hen gathers her chicks with those protective wings. The question is, are we willing Are we willing to repent of our symbolic holiness? Are we willing to repent of status seeking? Are we willing to repent for being a barrier to others coming to faith? For not being men and women of our word? For for our neglect of justice, mercy and sacrifice? Are we willing to repent of our greed and self-indulgence, of our hypocrisy and our lawlessness and of our self-righteousness? Are we willing to repent of these things? Let's pray. Lord, I guess a challenge for us today is there's a little bit of those religious leaders in all of us. Sometimes we do the wrong thing thinking that we can get away with it. Sometimes we put on an external show of righteousness but on the inside and when nobody's looking, well, we're actually pretty bad. Lord, we've been the ones who have neglected justice, mercy and faithfulness. Lord, we have not been men and women of our word. Sometimes to our shame, We've been those who have turned others away from you. And Lord, sometimes we haven't even known it. Yes, Lord, sometimes we are the hypocrites. God, forgive us. And Lord, I thank you that you do forgive us. And that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and you forgive us of all unrighteousness. Lord, as we follow you as your disciples, please change us and make us pure. Lord, we come to you as sinners, but you love us too much to stay as sinners. And so, Lord, give to us your true holiness the holiness that we receive through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.